Dr. Beverly Reed. And I'm Dr. Amber Klumsack. And we are Two Two Peaks Peaks in a Pod. Well, welcome back, everybody. Today was another historic moment at Peak Fertility. Dr. K, do you want to share why? So today we had our first egg retrieval at our very own lab that we built from the ground up. And we have been perfecting for the last few months, getting everything absolutely perfect. Yes. And today, finally, it all came together. It's been amazing. And we should give the other lab that we've been working out a shout out, IVFMD. So Peak Fertility has been open actually since February 1st of 2023. And we have been doing plenty of IVF, um, you know, egg retrievals and embryo transfers, but we've been actually using somebody else's lab, which we are so appreciative for. They have a great lab, but we've also been working this whole time to build our own lab. And we are just so excited. I will say it did take a while because we are so picky. (laughs) (laughs) We were not going to start until everything was absolutely perfect. So yes, yes. It was so good. And we had the sweetest patient and everyone did such a good job. Yes. And And guys, I'm telling you, Dr. K, we talked about this with her transfer she did before. She has the smoothest hands again. (laughs) Most beautiful retrieval I've ever seen. She's got the best hands. It's a a good team. It's a good team. (laughs) It's all about the teamwork. Yes. Yes. So we thought this would maybe be a good um, podcast to talk about how to prepare for an egg retrieval. And of course, I always like to throw in a little celebrity bit. So I'm going <laughs> to show you a little TikTok that Tara Lipinski posted. Oh, We're going to okay. talk about mm-hmm. T- Tara Lipinski here. But this is her coming out of an egg retrieval. 13 eggs. I was hoping for 16. Oh, I got it. So I feel like I could have done better, but 13 okay. My uterus... I'm confused, but he said, but we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe one of these guys will be our baby. She's so cute. And she has a little text when you're coming out of an egg retrieval. Hi, as a kite. And you're, yeah. you're talking, you kind of know what's happening. You kind of don't. So um, she's the, is she Olympian? Yes. Okay, she's so, the yes, Tara Lipinski. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. she's the youngest figure skater to have ever won an Olympic medal, which is amazing. amazing. Okay, but isn't it funny how she's speaking about herself even with her performance on the egg retrieval? <laughs> she's true. like, I could have done better. <laughs> I should have gotten 16, but I got 13. Oh gosh, like, what an Olympian. Like, that's nothing. right. She should have had her, like, card, yeah. like a 9.9. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes, very true. But I really appreciate it because recently she's come out with her own podcast mm-hmm. about her fertility journey. She's been really um, open on social media mm-hmm. about all that she's gone through. And so I do really appreciate when celebrities are, are open about this because it just creates awareness. It helps our patients not to feel as alone. And um, and so I thought this could be maybe a good chance for us to, to talk about how to prepare for an egg retrieval and what that process is like. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a pretty common question that I get. Just even the days leading up to the egg retrieval, what should you be doing? What should you not be doing? Are there any restrictions? So I guess we could kind of start with, you know, what should you not be doing? Yes, (laughs) yes. And you know what is actually so interesting too is I think you and I probably have different restrictions Mm -hmm. and I've seen Lots of different fertility mm-hmm. doctors have different restrictions. Mm-hmm. The funniest one to me was one of my mentors back at UT Southwestern. And his restrictions were this. If the patient asked, can I do this? The answer was always no. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it doesn't matter because he's kind of like, if you're concerned, I'm concerned. Oh, oh no. Okay. Yeah. So okay. it would even be like, can I swim in a pool? Nope. The chemicals may cause a problem or, you know, <laughs> this and that. So. 
I will say um, I'm pretty strict, but I'm not that strict. I, I My patients can swim in a pool. Can your patients swim in a pool? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> How can you survive in Texas in the summer not swimming in a pool? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I would love to know, you know, some of your restrictions too. So maybe let's start with intercourse. Yeah. So I have two big ones. Intercourse for me is a big one. And I will say it it could probably vary um, based on the patient and the type of protocol that we're doing. But in general, I do advise all of my patients, no intercourse once you start your stimulation medication. So when you're, once you start your injections and really the thought there is that we are having you develop multiple follicles, which each have an egg in them. And at the end of it, you're going to have an egg retrieval and hopefully we get all of those eggs out. But there is a small chance that you actually ovulate or drop multiple eggs, even though you're having an egg retrieval. And if you have intercourse, that means multiple babies. And that's definitely not what we want. We don't want to go through the whole process of IVF and then ultimately end up with a really complicated multiple baby pregnancy. That's not ideal. So that's the reasoning behind no intercourse. But I I do have certain situations where I may be more lenient about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you feel. Yeah. um, I think I've kind of gone back and forth throughout the years um, as well. And I will say, though, that what I started doing more recently is I say, look, when you're first starting the injections, I know that those follicles are so small Mm -hmm. that they're not going to ovulate yet. But I'm also keeping in mind that sperm can live in the body for up to five days. So I thought, you know what, maybe the first, you know, four to five days of your stimulation, I'll say, okay, that's fine. But then after that, I say it's good to hold off at that point. Um, And here's the thing too, it can't be that comfortable, I would imagine, you know, because usually your ovaries are the size of golf balls, Okay. But at the end of a stimulation, your ovaries can be the size of grapefruits. So I can't imagine with two grapefruits down there. Yeah. That probably doesn't feel very good. But, you know, to each their own. <laughs> so, you know, I, I say probably about halfway through is, is when I'm usually recommending to go ahead and, and stop at that point. Yeah. So as an aside, when I went through my um, egg retrieval and IVF process, I was um, working as a mm-hmm. resident at the hospital. We lived really close to the hospital mm-hmm. and I would ride my bike. And I remember, like, your ovaries, right? They're like grapefruits. Like, you can feel them. And when I would go over bumps, like, on the bike, I could feel my ovaries bouncing. So I would imagine, you know, that's sort of similar to intercourse. Probably not too (laughs) uncomfortable. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. So um, now sometimes, though, I will have patients tell me, though, Dr. Reed, you don't understand. These hormones are at an all-time high. Like, I've never felt like this before. I want to have sex all the time. Okay, you can do other things. Okay. So you can do other things, just we don't recommend anything in the vagina at, at that point because we just feel like it could, you know, bump things around too much, could be too uncomfortable. And then, again, the sperm issue, um, you know, we just don't want to create the higher risk for multiple. So, Yeah. It makes it a little bit more pleasant along the way. That's right. I've I've had a lot of men over like time just say that I never thought making babies would require such little sex. You know, like they get frustrated. They're like, you keep telling us not to have sex. And then all of a sudden they have to have sex. Yes, yes, yes. Um, But okay, I guess that brings up a good point though, in terms of preparation. Mm -hmm. Why don't we talk about the man's part of things, right? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of times in the beginning, I'm giving the stimulation instructions and they're also focused on the female side of things. And in the past, I used to not tell the guys what to do until the very end. But what I found is that was creating stress for them because they kind of felt like they didn't know what was coming. So Mm -hmm. now, even at the very beginning, I tell them, look, for now, ejaculation wise, you can do whatever you want. 
But the night of the trigger injection, which is usually two days before the retrieval, we ask the male partner to ejaculate the sperm and then abstain until the time of retrieval. Is that the same kind of recommendation you Yeah, have? I know you do your patients um, the trigger instructions that way. I think it's yeah. actually a really nice way to do it. Mm-hmm. I previously have just always talked about not going too long or too yeah. short. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of let them do whatever they feel necessary. I, I have some guys that like insist they need a longer amount of time okay. or shorter. Yeah. Do you have guys that say that? I don't know. Well, not yeah. many guys, but yeah. I will tell you mm-hmm. I have a patient right now. I'm going to do her retrieval mm-hmm. tomorrow where... Um, her partner has very few sperm. Mm-hmm. And so I did actually consult with the embryologist about it um, because we had a look at one of his samples and he said, hey, do you think in his case we mm-hmm. should ask for a longer abstinence, abstinence mm-hmm. period? And they said, yeah, why don't we go for four days for him instead right. of the two. Um, original mm-hmm. two? So I think there's always exceptions to individual cases, but I think for my average patient, it's usually the two days. So. Yeah, I think it's a nice interval and it's a yeah. good time period. I can kind of anticipate too if I know I'm getting close to a trigger. I usually let them go a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So next, a lot of times people will kind of panic with me about halfway through their um, stimulation because as women with during a natural cycle, when we're about to ovulate, we start to get a lot of clear, stretchy discharge and things like Absolutely. that. And I've now started warning people ahead of time because I found that this is such a moment of stress for people. They see clear, stretchy discharge. That is because you're taking these fertility injections. Your hormones are way higher than they usually are. It doesn't mean you're about to ovulate. Um, and this is something we expect during an IVF cycle, but I just prepare them that, Hey, you're going to see this. This is normal and not anything you need to worry about. Don't do anything about it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Don't need to change anything. This is normal. This is kind of more about setting expectations mm-hmm. of what will happen mm-hmm. as you get closer to the retrieval, mm-hmm. but it's really kind of a good thing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about men that I was going to say, mm-hmm. I always offer them a backup sperm freeze mm-hmm. uh, yes. leading yeah. up to it. Because mm-hmm. occasionally we do have guys that get nervous on yeah. the day of. So like she was saying, on the day of the egg retrieval, they will collect a fresh specimen. And that's what we actually use to inseminate the eggs on that day. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of pressure on a guy mm-hmm. to perform on that day. So leading up to it, they can come in, freeze some sperm, just knowing that they have it as a backup. I feel like they do a lot better. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's great. I've been actually prior places too where they even require Mm -hmm. to have a backup um, sample frozen. But in more recent years or other places I've been, they say they leave it kind of more optional to the patient because it can create additional costs to you. And so some patients may say, hey, it's not going to be a problem. Don't worry about it. Whereas other patients are like, oh, I don't want to take the chance. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. What about diet? Diet wise, I'm not very strict with them. Okay. I bet that I bet you are. I feel like it's such <laughs> I feel like it's such a stressor to go through IVF. Yeah. I feel like they should be able to kind of enjoy the things that they normally enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you restrict? I, yeah, I I don't think I'm really strict overall, but a lot of times people ask me, what are the best foods to eat mm-hmm. and everything? And so I do usually recommend the Mediterranean diet, really trying to incorporate that healthy seafood and lean protein and veggies and and a little bit of fruit, um, and then just really trying to avoid processed foods and high fat meats and sugar and simple carbohydrates and everything. But the exception to that is everybody always talks about French fries. Oh yeah. And I know. just had a patient this week. Well, yeah. so is it for agri-triple <coughs> transfer? They've been doing yeah. it for both. Okay. But yeah. I think it actually originated from the retrieval part. Uh-huh. And then I think honestly mm-hmm. people got a little confused and started doing it for the <laughs> okay, transfer part too. Because I think the concept so, is yeah. 
that, you know, whenever your hormones are really high, some women may be more prone to getting what's called hyperstimulation syndrome. And with hyperstimulation syndrome, you can get fluid that kind of builds up in the, in the pelvis. It can make you feel bloated and everything. And so a way to pull that fluid back into the blood vessels where it should be is to have salty foods. And what's nice and salty? French fries. <laughs> and so I think the original recommendation is probably like, oh, eat some French fries like around the time of your retrieval or, or after. And then it kind of became like a fertility thing that people started doing. And so now I've seen them even doing it for transfers as well. But yeah. I think that's a great recommendation. The other thing that kind of plays off of that, that I do tell my patients yeah. is stay really hydrated. Yes. It's interesting because you do tend to get bloating, like she's saying, while you're going through IVF and especially after your retrieval. Mm -hmm. And so you feel like you don't really need to drink a lot of fluids, but yeah. you're, you're, intravascular volume is depleted and you are dehydrated. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but you do need to drink plenty of fluids, yeah. high electrolyte beverages. So I always say drink plenty of water, stay hydrated. Now this is where I can say I've been so proud of my patients lately because a recent trend has really been helping a lot of my patients stay hydrated. And in fact, my daughter, who's only six, told me yesterday Mom, I'm a Stanley girl. <laughs> and so I guess I should even say, okay, so all of my cute little patients come in with their Stanley cup, okay? Now, I, I have a fake one <laughs> because those are expensive. But, but, um, but these gigantic cups have been great for my patients. They've been drinking so much water. Now, I would recommend you change to a glass straw. You can get them on Amazon. Um, but I think it's been great for What do they come with normally? A plastic straw. Oh, really? Yeah. The yeah. stainless cup? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Interesting. I thought it was like metal. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's stainless steel on the inside. Uh -huh. You guys who know me well know I'm very anti-plastic. So it's a stainless steel cup on the inside. Um, if you're trying to save money like me, you can get the generic one on Amazon. Or, of course, you can... If, uh, if you have no budget, you can get the Stanley. <laughs> um, but, um, but what's really funny is um, one of our sweet patients had accidentally left her Stanley cup mm -hmm. at your Dallas location. We didn't know whose it was. And so we posted it on my Instagram. And then I got a message on my Instagram that that was my best post for the whole month. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, am I chopped liver here? <laughs> like the Stanley cup is what got the That's most views here. So... I, I, you know, I'm like, maybe we need to start incorporating stamp, like instead yeah. of our coffee cups, maybe we should have Stanley, Stanley cups and so people will love us more. <laughs> I have to admit that literally every morning I just pull a glass uh -huh. of like my regular crate barrel glasses yeah. from home and oh. fill it up with water. <laughs> out of like an open coffee mug it's i spill it every day it's not a travel mug you are not a family girl <laughs> no. i just can't keep up um okay what about sleep do you feel like sleep is important leading up to your retrieval i do i think it's not something yeah. i always discuss with my patients yes yeah. but i think it's probably something reasonable i should add to my pre-counseling yeah yeah i've um, definitely seen some studies that show that maybe night shift workers um may have lower chances for success in some of the treatments they do because it may be harder sometimes mm -hmm. for them to get a full solid eight hours of sleep now i think that's hard because sometimes if you tell somebody you have to get eight hours of sleep. Then I feel like that puts the stress Anxious, on and you're yeah. sitting in bed like, oh my gosh, Dr. Ray said I need eight hours. But I say, gosh, if you can try as much as you can to feel as rested as possible, I feel like that's good, mm -hmm. you know, for both the eggs and for the soul too. What do you think about maybe adding melatonin? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a good question too. 
and you know, so melatonin actually has been reported to be a helpful fertility supplement, but from what I understand, it actually depends. So if you're taking it during treatment, it's supposed to be helpful, but if you're chronically taking it all the time, from what I understand, it can actually um, maybe negatively affect um, egg quality. But I think the hard part too is maybe you have to ask yourself, why is that person taking it all the time? Are they taking it all the time because they're not getting good sleep? Right. Maybe that's what's really affecting the egg quality and not necessarily the melatonin. Right. Or their shift worker and have to use it to help adjust their yeah. cycles. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. I think you had shared with me and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so, sounds so horrible, is you've heard of patients sometimes that accidentally forgot to do their trigger injection or maybe slept through it, right? Oh yeah. So what are some good tips to make sure that doesn't ever yes. happen to any of our peak patients? Yes. Yeah. I think this depends too on how the clinic does their retrieval timing. Mm-hmm. So hopefully where you're getting your retrieval done, if we do our retrievals in the morning, earlier in the morning, then your trigger time tends to be earlier in the evening because it's about 35, 36 hours later. So for example, if you have a 7 a.m. retrieval, then your trigger shot may be 7 p.m., 36 hours in advance. But if you're at like a really busy IVF center and there's a lot of retrieval scheduled for that day and maybe your retrieval is not going to fall until the afternoon, if it's a 2 p.m. trigger, it may be 2 o'clock in the morning or if it's a 2 p.m. retrieval, it may be a 2 o'clock in the morning trigger time. And I have had those patients forget to set their alarm and wake up. And yeah. so here's something really important. If that happens to you and you wake up and like you're four hours past your trigger time, do not just give yourself the yeah. shot. Right. At that time yeah. and hope all is the best. Yeah. You should wait until it's a reasonable hour, call your fertility center and ask what you should do. Mm-hmm. Most likely what they're going to do is they're going to reset you so that you take your trigger shot that next day mm-hmm. so that you'll be with the next group of retrievals. Because what can happen is the lab may not be open and able to accommodate you mm-hmm. actually having your retrieval if you yeah. take your trigger shot at 5 a.m. Yeah, right. And also, too, maybe they, maybe the lab is open, but it could be that another patient is already mm-hmm. booked at that time, and that wouldn't be fair to cancel their retrieval for yours if you accidentally missed your trigger. So timing is very important. And I will say, too, this is hard because for IVF, trigger timing is very important. For IUIs, I'm a little bit more lax on timing. So sometimes oh, yeah. that confuses mm-hmm. patients because they're like, wait, I, you know, somebody told me it had to be exactly this time. For IUIs, I'm like, oh, we have a wider range. But mm-hmm. no, for IVF, it really needs to be when we're when we're telling you it needs to be. And so um, very important to get that right. And so I'd say set multiple alarms on your phone. Have yes. your partner, if you have one, set multiple alarms on their phone. Or if you don't have a partner, call a friend and be like, can you call me and make sure that I take my trigger injection? And I will say what I think helps too maybe mixing up your trigger injections even a couple hours beforehand because sometimes too I've had people who were like you know let's say you're supposed to trigger Mm -hmm. at 11 p.m and it's you know 10 58 and and then you decide to pull them out and you're like wait I have no idea how to use these and then you're panicking oh my gosh what do I do I actually remember too um when I first started fellowship (laughs) my very first night of call somebody had called you know 10 55 And they were panicking because they didn't know how to do their trigger injection. And so I call my boss and I say, hey, I'm calling about this patient. And he said, oh, it's so-and-so. And And I was like, how did he know who it was? And of course he knows. We start to predict when people might be calling about their trigger injections. But that's why I'm like, you know what? It's good to get it all settled beforehand. It's okay to have it mixed up a couple hours before you're about to give it. So you kind of just have it laid out. 
Um, and I will say too, there's different kind of trigger injections, different doses given in different routes and everything. So you just want to make sure that you have that all ready to go. So at the proper time, you're like, okay, I know what I'm doing and you can just give it. I definitely agree. <laughs> you do not, you go through that whole process. You don't want to miss your trigger injection. Yeah. And um, the other piece of advice that I usually give my patients leading up, I can't remember if we already talked about this mm -hmm. exercise. Yes. Um, oh, this is yeah. a good one. Mm -hmm. So I do, and it depends on, you know, some patients are really into exercising, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's devastating to them to hear, well, yes. you can't exercise while you're taking your injection. So yes. I give them a little bit more leeway. But in general, mm -hmm. once your ovaries really start growing those follicles, your ovaries are going to get big. And the problem is if you do vigorous exercise, like jumping up and down and um, high intensity, you know, some of you out there like to roll tires around and, you know, <laughs> these things I don't understand and I'm not capable of, that can actually cause what we call ovarian torsion, mm -hmm. where the ovary turns on itself and occludes the blood vessels. And it's a surgical emergency because you don't want your ovary to go without blood flow for too long of a period of time. Mm -hmm. So it is a rather short you know, interval where we say, let's refrain from any exercise until your ovaries kind of go back to their regular size and you're out of that risk. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, and I do always like to reassure people too, of course you can walk, Yes, you can go up and down stairs. If you have a toddler, you Kids. can pick up your toddler. Mm -hmm. Um, but absolutely. I, I, I don't like my patients to be running and biking and, and, you know, although you were biking. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, look, it was <laughs> transportation. And see, that's why you shouldn't bike. Um, but but to really try um, to avoid that. And I do even remember one of my friends, she was addicted to running. Running can be very addictive. Ran her whole IVF even after, the day of, even after she was running, she got a hemoperitoneum. This was at another oh fertility clinic. Gosh. It wasn't with me, but that means she was bleeding inside her belly. She would not stop. She loves to run so much. And I'm like, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, no. It's okay Oof. to take a small break. So Yeah, mm -hmm. I always say, listen, if your doctor tells you not to exercise, yeah. like that's great advice. Yeah. I wish my doctor would tell me that. <laughs> I just, yeah, take the chance to be a nice, lazy couch potato. That's really what we want to see. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, should we wrap it up for today? Yeah. Okay, Exciting good. Day. Well, I'm again. I'm so uh, proud of us. Really, yeah, so proud for, of our team. Um, getting to have this historic day of our first egg retrieval. We can't wait to see the results. All right, all right. Thank you, guys. See you all week. next time.